Welcome to the Smart Planning 101 podcast, episode 12. I'm Nicole Whip, and I'm your host. It's time to face facts. Getting older can be scary. And when you, your spouse, or your parents are getting up there in age, being unprepared can turn the golden years into the darkest years of your life. That's why the Smart Planning 101 podcast is here to shed some light on intelligent estate planning, strategic financial decision making, healthcare options, and all things related to growing older with dignity. Here's your host, elder law attorney, Nicole Whip. Planners. Today, I am continuing my story with Steve Frank, Evolution 360 Leadership Coach. But this is Steve's personal story of his mother's Alzheimer's diagnosis and treatment. And in this episode, it begins where Steve continues his story of the emergency move of his mother out of the family's house to an Alzheimer's memory care facility and how traumatic that was and what the ultimate repercussions of that was for him and his family. We also discuss um, the financial repercussions of an Alzheimer's diagnosis, how long-term care insurance comes into play, how somebody that apparently has no concept of what's going on still can make their wishes known. So how we really don't have any idea of what's really always going on in the brain, and how generational feelings about things and pride can come and play a role in different parts of the decision making process and how this can sort of create obstruction sometimes because we want certain results, but it's just not coinciding with what's really happening and just how these sort of dynamics come into play. So these are just some of the things that Steve and I are talking about in part two of this interview. I hope you enjoy. And if you missed part one, please visit smartplanning101.com forward slash two, smartplanning101.com forward slash two. Thanks for listening. taken the only thing we could do immediately was taken to a what is essentially an Alzheimer's unit at the local hospital mm-hmm. um, but you can't stay there for long mm-hmm. right um, but it's street clothes it's basically an Alzheimer's unit a memory unit um, and um, hopped in the car you know made a bunch of phone calls did what had to did some research and found a longer term solution. Um, and so had my mother moved by, uh, she was there for a week and then by ambulance rather than by us, because that's what they recommended would be the easiest transition moved to an Alzheimer's facility. Which was uh, a long-term skilled nursing facility, also known as, no? Um, it was not skilled nursing. It was a memory care facility. So purely a Alzheimer's nursing home. So not skilled care. So when, as you progress through and get to the point that you require skilled care, you'd have to move somewhere else. Okay. Okay. So yes, this, this was, was a memory care unit, but it was a nursing home memory care unit. Is that correct? 
it was a, it was, they had no one except for Alzheimer's and dementia patients here. This was not any type of nurse, other nursing home. So this was, this was healthy people that happened to have Alzheimer's or advanced dementia. Or dementia, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Because that's one of the things that people don't understand as much about Alzheimer's and dementia, Steve, is that right. people, you can be healthy as a horse, right? Your body is healthy. Absolutely. Your mind. Absolutely. And so, like I said, my mother was going to the gym five days a week up until the day we moved her out of the house. And she would get to, I mean, the Alzheimer's facility, this one facility had a central area that was a circle. And my mother every day would put her sneakers on and she would jog the circle and she would stop to show the, the nurses that were there and the, her muscles. And it was, she was very proud of that. It was like what she had left. Right. And she would work out there. She wanted nothing to do with the arts and crafts. She wanted nothing to do with the singing or any of that stuff because that wasn't her, you know, she didn't need, she, when I finally went to see her to leave, um, when I was coming back to Michigan, she said, I went to see her and it's very common. It happens all the time. She said, Oh, let's go in my room. And she took me in her room and she started packing her stuff. And I said, mom, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm not staying here. I'm going to go back to Michigan with you. Wow. And how did that said, make mom, you feel? Oh, I mean, you know, it's terrible. And I said, mom, you can't come to Michigan with me. Yes. I, why can't I? And so I knew enough from support groups, from talking to doctors that you, you don't necessarily want to lie, but you need to, so you want to tell the truth, but you need to do it in a way they can understand and that isn't going to insult them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I said, mom, you know, I would love to have you come with me, but the doctor says you can't right now. And that this is where you need to stay for now. Um, and my mother who, um, had a great wit and, um, a mouth on her that was a mouth said to me, you know, lean in closer. And I said, what? She goes, we don't need to listen to him. And I said, yes, mom, he's the doctor. We need to listen to him. She goes, no, we don't. He's not really a doctor. <laughs> and I said, really, what is he? She goes, he's a pimp. <laughs> and where that came from I don't know I laughed she laughed it diffused everything and she stayed and that and that was it but um things went downhill really quickly what do you mean um so that was August of 2010 by um, in December of 2010, she tripped over her feet and broke her hip oh. and needed to have surgery. And between December of 2010 and April of 2011, she did it two more times because she forgot that she was in a, wheel, in a wheelchair for a reason after the surgery. And if you turned your back for a second, she'd get up. And, um, going back to what we were talking about it, um, she wasn't in skilled nursing and I don't know all the laws in Michigan, but in Pennsylvania, you can't restrain somebody. You can't in Michigan either. 
And so you couldn't, we could put alarms on the bed and alarms on the wheelchair, but you couldn't restrain her in the wheelchair to prevent her from getting up. And so she would just try to get up and walk. And after the first one where they did the, the, uh, they fixed her hip, you know, her, she just wasn't walking the same. I mean, things just were different. And the other thing that I learned is anesthesia, um, while difficult for anybody, takes much longer to leave a leave the system when you have Alzheimer's or dementia. Um, some studies I read said it can be six months before the effects of anesthesia are fully gone. And my mother underwent anesthesia three times in six months. So that accelerated the decline. I think partly. Who knows, right? Uh-huh, I mean, right. You, you never know, but I think so. But my mother went from um, going to the gym five days a week with my father to needing two people to get her in and out of a wheelchair um, and not being able to stand or walk about eight months later. And so we moved her from one Alzheimer's facility to another where we thought that she would get better care. And this was part of a... um, more integrated care. So they had rehab on one floor. They had skilled nursing on another floor. Her floor was all memory. So she was on that floor for a few years. Um, But there was a whole campus. And that was when I mentioned my father was driving 45 minutes each way. We ended up, um, while my father and mother said they'd never sell the house, and once he was there alone, he didn't really want to live there anymore. And so we sold the house. and uh, moved my father into a townhouse on the same property. So completely independent living, um, but he could walk to see her if he wanted to. It was a five-minute walk or he could drive. And so we did that, um, and he's still there. Um, She unfortunately passed away, or not unfortunately, actually. She fortunately, um, from my point of view, passed away last March. A year ago, 2013. Do you Uh, say fortunately just because that was not the woman that she wanted to be? It was not. uh, There was nothing there that was, A, it wasn't the life she wanted to live. She had no recognition of who I was for the last year or two. Um, She didn't have recognition most days of my father. She needed to be fed. Um, and you mentioned that unfortunately with Alzheimer's and dementia, you can be strong as an ox. My mother was strong as an ox. And so the other thing that I learned, which is very different, hospice care for dementia isn't a two-week time frame. They look at a 90-day window. And if you continue the state of decline you're in for 90 days, it's likely that you won't survive. And so with dementia, you can go in and out of um, hospice care often. And so my mother was in hospice care after one of her broken hips. Um, She came out of it. She was back in hospice care. And we were having quarterly care calls, both with the staff at the facility as well as with hospice. And, um, I remember it was, we, it was February, we were having our quarterly care call and they said, look, your mom is really thriving. Um, the wound that we put her into hospice for originally has gotten 
is is so much better. She's eating. She's not losing weight. We th- are going to be hard pressed to renew hospice this next time when the 90 days is up. We can keep her in, but we're going to be hard pressed to renew it. And just be prepared. We think there's a likelihood that you have another five or 10 years of this because she really is strong as an ox. Um, three weeks later, she passed away. Um, and so I, I maintain that she somewhere, she wasn't present during these calls, but I maintain somewhere she had a moment of lucidity. She started knocking their hand away when they tried to feed her. And she went very quickly and very peacefully. She just refused to take food. Um, and I had a lot of people say to me, it's such a mixed blessing. And my response was, there was nothing mixed about it. This was an absolute blessing because five to 10 more years of this, um, forget what it was doing financially. It was taking a toll on everybody, physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, and she had no quality of life whatsoever. None. Right. Um, so I jumped like a huge timeline of stuff there, but that's, that's basically what happened. Well, so you say she had no quality of life and that she was in that. And I, and I, I like that you said that about that she must have had some type of lucidity because one of the things I often talk to my clients about is the fact that, you know, people always will say to me, oh, well, if I'm gaga, I don't care. Just put me in the corner. And da-da. Well, you can say that all you want is what I tell people, but we don't know. We The human brain is such an interesting and complex thing, right? And Absolutely. so we don't know what our awareness is going to be. And we want to have quality of life as long as we possibly can and, and or in whatever way we can given our current situation, correct? Right. And so here, that is a great example because you're telling me to all intents and purposes, it appeared as if your mother had no cognizance whatsoever and yet she knew enough to knock their hand away when they tried to feed her. Absolutely. And yet. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I say she had no recognition of me. It purely could have been the times I was there, right? If I had come 30 seconds earlier or stayed 10 seconds later, she may have recognized me for a minute, but she didn't have anything that was lasting. And, but she was aware of her surroundings at times. And I know she wasn't living the way she wanted to live. Um, and she would say that at times, but you know, it, it was oftentimes when she also was talking to somebody who wasn't in the room, <laughs> right? Um, so, but I do believe there is, you know, there's no other explanation for it wasn't a tick. You know, she would not, I, she was strong as an ox. Even when she was confined to the wheelchair and the bed and that was it, if she grabbed onto your hand or your wrist, you knew she was grabbing on. I mean, she still, through all of that, had her strength. Wow. And um, she was taking food. I mean, she wasn't even opening her eyes when she was eating half the time or 80% of the time. You would just touch the fork or the spoon to her lips and she would open and start chewing. So she knew what was going on and she had to have made the choice to consistently knock the hand away. Wow. You know, doing it once or twice is one thing, 
but to do it day after day after day after day. Yeah, that's a pretty clear indication of something. That's a very clear indication. Yeah, yeah. I would I would have to agree with that. Yeah. Well, do you mind talking at all about the financial repercussions of this? No. So, um, like I said, the best discussion we ever had, the best thing we ever did was long-term care policies for both of my parents. Um, one of the toughest discussions was getting my father to let it kick in. So as you're aware, I'm sure, um, with a lot of these policies, there's activities of daily living and you have to have failed three of them and have a doctor's note that says, and so because my mother was proud because he was proud, they didn't ever want to get that doctor's note. They didn't want to admit they couldn't do those things. Exactly. So my mother, you know, so it came to the point, I was like, look, we've got to do this because it's going to help start to pay for stuff. Um, And it's this tightrope walk at times because we had really good policies. We had a good amount of money in them. But I am telling you, there were months after the surgery, like after my mother broke her hip, where even though she was on the skilled nurse, on the Alzheimer's floor, the memory floor, we needed private duty nursing on top of it because of the extra care she needed. And she still was benefiting from memory care type stuff. So it didn't make sense. So there were months that um, her care was um, in excess of $12,000 a month, $12,000 to $14,000 a month. And Are you we talking would, over and above what you had to pay out of pocket or that was the total cost? No, every, that was okay. everything. We would not have been able to do anything like that without the long-term care. Over and above, it was still thousands of dollars on those months, right? Um, and it took a financial toll. And then you get to the point where you have this phone call and they say, yes, you should expect another five to 10 years of this because she's strong as an ox. And we say, where's that going to come from? Right? right. So it turned out when she passed away three weeks later, there was a pot of money left in that long-term care. Right. It's that, it's that balancing act. And, and you go from panicking that, how are you going to deal with it? To even though you've put all these things in place, there's so much uncertainty and it is so expensive. Um, and sure, there were things we could have done to lower the costs, but in order to, you know, it was fulfilling promises that my parents made to each other, right? Moving my mother out of my, my father not living with my mother was one of the hardest things he ever did. Um, total side note, I will say, in a lot of respects, it also made transitioning after her passing one of the easier, not easier, but it made it easier because he was already living somewhere that he never lived with her. And he was used to not having her in bed and all those things. So there, you know, there's yeah, pros and cons to it, but, but still he, you know, it was a very tough thing and her quality of care, because in some respects he broke that promise her quality of care was so important. And what I used to always say to him was, Dad, what you, you broke no promise. What you're doing is giving mom the absolute best care that she could have and the most love that she could have anywhere. And it wasn't possible in the house, right? Um, looking back, the hard thing is that violent phase was somewhat short-lived and maybe, 
we could have kept, you know, to get through that, but you can't, you can't go back. Right. Um, you know, but we we certainly had those discussions when we were paying for an Alzheimer's facility plus private duty nursing. (laughs) We were like, we could have had her at home and had private duty nursing. Right. Right. Um, but it wasn't, we did the best that we could given the circumstances. And I think, you know, we made all the right decisions. Um, some of the hard things were really uh, getting my father to look ahead so that he wasn't constantly surprised by what was coming next, um, emotionally and physically. Um, emotionally, it was a, or financially, which was your question, was a huge total. Long term care was the best thing we ever did. Um, I got my parents to buy those policies. Um, when they were still in their 50s. Okay, so the key there, though, is that they bought the right before your dad had his heart attack. No, after. Really? Well, that's unusual, right? After. You recognize so, that that probably wouldn't happen today. Yeah, it was after he had his heart attack. Um, his was and remains to be an expensive policy. Um, but there are long-term care policies that you can get. He had a lot of you know, healthy years between then and purchasing it. The the thing for, with long-term care is you stop making payments on it as soon as you start using it, basically. And then it starts decreasing, right? So um, hers was a lifesaver in a lot of ways. Um, but there's still, despite the really high quality policy we had, and that's what every facility we were at told us you really have a great policy. There was, there were still out of pocket expenses every month. And so it wasn't the cure all even, even it was a huge bandaid, but it wasn't a cure all. No, it, it, it wasn't a cure all. If you wouldn't Uh, have had that policy, what would have been the financial result of this? Um, without that policy, um, there would have been a, we would have had to let all of my mother's resources go and um, either it would have been Medicaid or Medicare, I forget which, Medicaid, Um, and that would have impacted the quality of care, unfortunately, and where she could have been. So, So. yeah, so, and... With having it as well, uh, I'm going to say, or I'm going to ask you then, you were able to preserve assets on your dad's behalf so that now as he continues to live, he's not going to be living in poverty because he has assets still available to him because they weren't all spent out. Absolutely. And that's, I'm sure. Although Although it still took a major toll, but absolutely. Yeah. Well, if you're looking at about 118,000, give or take 117,000, that he would have been able to keep um, if he would have had to do a full spend down, um, that might have been a very significant difference to him than what he's able to do now. Absolutely. Um, So what is the biggest lesson that you feel like you learned in all of this? Or lessons, I'm sure you learned more than one, but... You know, if you were going to, if somebody was sitting here listening to this and they were going through or about to go through, they see signs of Alzheimer's or dementia even in a loved one and you can say to them, 
these are the things that you should start thinking about. These are the conversations you should start having. What would you say? So um, at the point that you're seeing it, I think what really comes to mind for me is where I started this conversation when you asked me to talk a little about myself. It's about taking a leadership role. It is, you absolutely have to be a manager in this. You need to manage the day-to-day, but you need to do it with, you need to come up 30,000 feet at some point and really create a vision and create goals for what you want to achieve. What, what is it that you want? What, you know, unfortunately, um, and you know, it's, it's not the nicest way to say this, but Alzheimer's sucks. Um, it's a hideous. There are a lot of ugly diseases out there. Um, it is a really hideous, hideous disease for the person living it and for the people going through it. And if you don't set an intention, which I'm very big on mindfulness and setting intentions um, that are in alignment with a vision so that you've got a goal for what you want to do, it's hard sometimes to make decisions in the moment. Well, give an example in this instance of what would be a specific intention that you might have set forth for yourself. Well, so specifically was um, the intention was to honor both of my parents to make sure that my mother had the best quality of life that she could possibly have while preserving my father's emotional, mental, physical, and financial quality of life also. And so, yeah, that's definitely 30,000 feet up, right? It's somewhat easy to say, but... It is needed to make sure that because my parents had promised they would always take care of each other, they would live in the house, they loved each other. I mean, it was just so clear, right? Had to make sure that my mother was getting the care she needed in a way that gave my father some comfort, realizing he'd never be completely comfortable with it because it wasn't what he promised. But so that was really the intention and the goal. That's great. Did you at any point, did your family at any point consult with an attorney about protecting assets? Yes. Okay. And was that a fruitful conversation or no? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And we had to do it more than once. I mean, we did it at the time that we did the planning, Mm -hmm. right? That we did the, but we had to do it at a point where, we were seeing resources um, get depleted very quickly, and we needed to explore what options were because if we had 10 to 15 more years of this, we knew we couldn't, even with our best laid plans, it wasn't going to be viable. So then we had to start exploring what do we do? How do we separate these things? What can, what can we do so that my father gets to preserve some stuff and my mother gets a good level of care, right? Right, Unfortunately, it never came to that. Okay. So if you would have had to resort to that, using an attorney's services for that, would that have been an expense or an investment from your family's perspective? It would have been both. 
Um, but it, it would have been an investment in the future. It would have been an expense. Um, and it would have been, not to get real woo-woo, it would have been a financial expense and it would have been an emotional expense. Yes, because that is a serious, you know you're in crisis probably at that moment, right? Mm-hmm. And that's an emotional toll on its right. own. That, that, or you're headed, or in our, we were headed toward crisis and trying to avert. Okay. So, but did it give you any comfort as a family to know that there were at least some options? Some of us. Okay. So there were mixed emotions on that topic. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm assuming that um, there were some emotions related to even the thought of the need to go on public benefits. Right. Okay. So that is, there's a strong resistance to that. And that may have been a dynamic in your family as well. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, And that's common. I would, I, I definitely would say that that's not unusual in families for there to be a strong resistance to that. Even mm-hmm. when we as taxpayers have paid into that system since the 1960s, you know, um, right. there is some feeling about that that it's hard. If you have proud, if you have proud family members and proud parents, it's a hard pill to swallow. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, Steve, what else would you want people to know about this? Because, you know, one of the things that actually you brought up to me before we started talking was that you're in the sandwich generation and how that plays a uh, role in this conversation for you. And can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I mentioned that in 2010 was when we had to move my mother out of the house and move her into an Alzheimer's facility. So the day that we moved her into an Alzheimer's facility was August 10th of 2010 and it was a Tuesday. Um, and I imagine I would remember that no matter what, but for me, it was really significant because I got in the car and drove from, like I said, drove from Detroit to Philly, um, spent a couple days, got her set up, moved her in on August 10th. On August 11th, I got back in the car drove back to Detroit um, and started a different type of packing because on August 17th, I moved my oldest son into his freshman dorm of college. And so in the span of seven days, um, I went from moving my mom into essentially a nursing home, an Alzheimer's facility, uh, to moving my son into his freshman dorm, which I guess, uh, no disrespect, you could say goes from one end of insanity to the other. But <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> No, I, I don't think that's just, I think it's just true, right? You know, it's just a true statement. Um, I, I said to friends, it was like one flew over the cuckoo's nest to Animal House in seven days. and uh, But not just the surroundings, the emotions. Right, because um, at the time, moving my mother into the Alzheimer's facility was one of the most profoundly sad things I ever had to do. Um, and seven days later, moving my son into his freshman dorm, knowing the possibilities that were ahead and the opportunities, and that he had chosen. Um, had a lot of choice because of 
what he did for himself and had made this choice that he was so excited about. Um, but I could see some fear in his eyes, just like I could see a different fear in my mother's eye, um, was just such a juxtaposition for me um, and the whole gamut of emotions and to be present for both, right? And to not let the sadness override the joy seven days later and the possibilities and the hope and all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a tight sandwich. Yeah. That's very intense. That's very intense emotionally to anybody. Yeah. 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 And yet here are the possibilities and the promise of your son that continues on. And that's, I think, uh, you know, that's part of the circle of life, right? Oh, it absolutely is. And while, we have no choice in the design of it. I'm glad it was that order and not the other way around. And I'll, you know, I'm glad I did my mom and got to end with my son. Um, not that the problems with my mom ended, but at least it was a nice end to the week. Right? Right. You're able to end on the more positive note, so to speak. Ex- exactly. In, enjoying a margarita on the roof of a great Mexican restaurant in Boulder. <laughs> looking at the mountains it was a great a great way to do it so oh yeah well there's that's a beautiful uh that's such a beautiful campus that's awesome yeah yeah absolutely so i know that you said at one point in this that um you felt like you guys made some really good decisions related to this even if they were difficult mm-hmm. um and i always tell people you know there are no perfect decisions would you agree with that um, you know, it's so funny that you say that because I um, had already answered your question about a lesson, but um, it really is a key lesson. There is no perfection. There is no such thing as the perfect answer in this situation. And all there is is the right answer in the moment. And once that moment's gone, you cannot go back and look at whether you made the right decision or not because you did and you can't change it and you never know what would have happened based on any other decision. Um, so you can't, in, in my business, I talk to people about with their goal setting and things that perfection is paralyzing. If you're always waiting for perfect and for perfection, I have people say, well, I'm going to roll this out, but I need to make sure it's perfect first. Well, you know what? You're never going to roll it out then. Um, and the corollary of that with this is whatever decision you make in terms of healthcare around dementia is the right decision at the moment. Um, and there's great to have all the planning, but when you're in the midst of it, you're going to make a decision and you can't second guess it afterwards. And I think that that's probably um, one of the most useful lessons anybody can take away from this is that you're only one person or you're only collectively a family and each of you love this person and you want to do the best. Everybody wants to do the best thing. What the right thing to do is never clear. And uh, you just have to do the best you can. And that's all we, any of us can do in this life, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing this story, Steve. I think it's uh, such a great illustration of what a lot of people go through. You know, everybody's story is unique to themselves, but yet this story has a lot of 
I'm sure there are a lot of people that this would resonate with this whole timeline. And there were so many, there was so much more to it than even what you told us, I know. But the main points of what you had to go through, I think that that's a, a story that many people can resonate with and would know that that's what's their, going to be their story as well, at least on some level. So thank you very much for sharing it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for letting me. This concludes my interview with Steve Frank. I think one of the things that I learned from this is how easily this can happen to just about any one of us and that the challenges that many of us face, while everybody's story is different, are very similar. Please feel free to show your support for Steve or tell us about your own experiences at smartplanning101.com forward slash 12. That's smartplanning101.com forward slash 12 and read the show notes about this episode. Also, if you have a question you'd like to ask me or a story that you'd like to share, please visit smartplanning101.com and click on the button, ask my question. You can record a message with your question or let me know how to reach you and let's get your story told as well because these are stories that other people need to hear so that they can relate to what's going on in their own lives. Thanks again for listening. Now that you're starting to get the knowledge you need to make better planning decisions, don't let your journey stop there. Nicole's incredible guide, Five Tools You Need to Be Truly in Control of Your Future, includes smart planning options and worksheets you can gain access to right now. And the best part is you can download it for free by going to smartplanning101.com tools right now. Time is flying by, so don't wait another day to download this must-have guide. And we'll see you next time on the Smart Planning 101 podcast. The information contained within this podcast does not constitute legal or financial advice. It's for general informational purposes only. For advice specific to your situation, consult with your legal or financial professional.